This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto. It's November 9th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Match officials are battling to stay out of the headlines these days. Whether it's rugby or football, most games are followed by furious debate. Not on the merits of the players, but rather on whether the right refereeing calls were made and if they were made fast enough. Since the highly controversial Rugby World Cup final, which was dominated by TMO decisions, we've seen VAR's use in the Premier League take a walloping from pundits. VAR and TMO are essentially video-assisted referees who watch replays of moments in a match to ensure that the best possible calls are being made. But this drive for greater accuracy has led to critics complaining that the flow and the soul of the game is being stolen by match officials sitting in a studio staring at computer monitors. So is technology taking away from the spectacle? Or should we be happy that the number of refereeing howlers has actually decreased? Today, on the front page, Newstalk ZB sports journalist Andrew Alderson breaks down the controversy of the big calls changing our most popular sports. Andrew, TV refereeing has been a major talking point since the Springboks beat the All Blacks in the final of the Rugby World Cup. Could you briefly explain how TMO works? Well, the idea, I think, behind it, Damien, is, is originally is it's just for more accuracy. A reduction in human error, if you like, uh, with the referee, etc. So why not go to the video to be able to get the absolutely detailed download of what's gone on in a specific incident? And so you have that, and surely you'll come up with 100% or 99.9% correct answer. But it hasn't necessarily worked that way, unfortunately. I mean, I'm a big fan of TMO, VAR, etc. Any way you can add accuracy to a sport surely has to help that sport. But it does seem that it, it's rife with problems every now and again, just over the one percenters or just people have different views on what they think is correct and what they think is incorrect, don't they? We have also seen the shift happening in football. So how does TMO compare to VAR? Well, I think it's relatively similar that you're just looking for the goals or with penalties, etc. in football, whether something's a direct red card. Similar like for like, I suppose, just you know, looking at it from afar uh, in those two aspects. Ultimately, it's always going to come back to the referee on the field as well, albeit you have that collaboration process, don't you, with the VAR or the TMO or going upstairs at the cricket, etc. So it has to come back to the official in charge of the game, but there's the collaboration process first. Andrew, I know these things are very rarely objective and rational when it comes to sport, just given the emotion, but given that accuracy is the goal here? Isn't that necessarily a good thing? And isn't it ensuring that players are held accountable for every single thing that happens on the pitch? It is, but within reason, I think. I think that's where we've been getting into trouble here, is that these have been stretched out, elongated the 
discussions go on seemingly forever. You, you lose complete flow of the game. I just saw Steve Hansen uh, speaking about this just in the Herald, saying that that's, it's got out of context, or it's got out of perspective, and you end up with too much dominance towards that rather than the referee just seeking a bit of added advice. And I think that's broken the confidence of officials at times as well, that they then think, oh, they're going to be lambasted and going to be hauled over the coals for minor errors or whatever. So therefore they're constantly using it as a safety net rather than just more rarely, if you like. So at its worst, TMO or VAR almost becomes like a crutch for the a official. Crutch. Exactly. That's that's a great way of describing it. So that's where I think it's gone wrong over the years, if you're going to critique it, albeit that I, I think it should be there. Because that was one of the problems to start with as well, is that you had fans at home or even fans in the stadia with their phones could see something that was blatantly wrong that the person in the middle couldn't. The game has to decide what they want out of VAR here. Do they want it quick or do we want to take our time and be absolutely certain? From a refereeing perspective, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. How are TMO and VAR officials actually trained? Surely it can't be easy to ensure that they're all on the same page, making calls in real time on the basis of a rule book as it's written at that given time. Well, I think they have the bunker, et cetera, with rugby league and, and even with cricket, football, rugby. They have a decent team behind them, but then it is someone who has that uh, officiating experience who actually has to make the call in the box. And that's why you'll hear from time to time, they'll say, oh, you know, play it forward, play it back, tinkering with the footage frame by frame, if you like, trying to get that accuracy. And all the while, the clock's on this so that the fan is losing interest rapidly. Is part of the problem here that viewers are just battling to keep up with the rules, given that they seem to be changing quite regularly, especially in rugby? I think rugby, yeah. I mean, football is still, I mean, we talk about it being the beautiful game, it's still relatively simple when you compare it to rugby. I mean, even league is simple compared to rugby. Rugby's become so complicated and it's a difficult one to solve. I mean, the, the area around the breakdown specifically, you know, it's a labyrinth, isn't it? The dark arts, you can go in there and it's, it's so, there's limbs everywhere. It's a really complex, like, and so what someone will see a hand, someone will see a foot or, you know, something, it won't be uh, as simple as people want to make it out, that's for sure. You even notice that from the commentators, some of the commentators are commentating on the game and they're not sure why a certain call has been made. So there's this disconnect. If the experts can't get it like that, then how can the average fan get it, would be my argument. The other thing that really comes up quite regularly is that drive for accuracy can sometimes seem to go too far. It can slow down the game and remove the joy of the spectacle. So we've seen this in football with some offsides calls, for example, that seem so marginal that they've almost become a laughing point. We're talking a toenail across the line and the goal's disallowed and all the celebrations were for naught. So is this really the point of the game, that we're going to talk about a toenail across a certain line and then deny them the goal? Yeah, I, I suppose in that regard, you have to, when you're talking about top sport, bring in the commercial argument that something has to be accurate. Yeah, where there's money involved, etc., that's going to become an issue. I think that can get a bit out of control, can't it, when you see that it's borderline. And always, yeah, we talk about the human error element. It's still humans operating this. So there's human error again, albeit reduced when it comes to making those decisions with the video. So yeah, it can become really pedantic. And ultimately, you've got to find that balance because that's what's going to turn off your audience. If you're enjoying this episode of The Front Page, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And for a plethora of sports coverage, check out the ACC and Newstalk ZB podcast networks on iHeartRadio.
During the All Blacks and Springboks game, there were some questions raised about the level of consistency across the decisions made during the match. So some critics questioned whether Sam Kane should have got a red card and why Sia Khaleesi only got a yellow card. So what do you make of the fact that fans are crying out for greater consistency and that they view certain things as inconsistent? Or does this just come down to interpretation? Well, there's a couple of things there. With those two incidents, for starters, I think they got that right to some degree. I could see more mitigating circumstances for the Khaleesi incident than I could for Kane. Albeit, Kane, you know, it's not dirty play. And, and he's been sent off the field. And that probably brings me to my second point. And that's what I like about the NRL is that things will go on report and it'll get reviewed later. Whereas that's influencing a game and you take a player off the field and all of a sudden you've got a, a World Cup final that really starts to look a bit hollow or certainly is a spectacle because you've reduced the numbers. So that's something that rugby in particular has got to address. And I wonder if they will along those lines where they go to it later on as the league does, unless it's an outright dirty play kind of red card incident. Complicating that further with rugby is that you've got these policies in place where the head is sacrosanct and you've got the problem of concussion coming down the track as well. They have to be really vigilant about. So therefore, anything along those lines, more delays to the game, more replays to see whether it is or not. And then there's an eight-minute time frame where someone from the foul play committee then decides whether that yellow goes and turns into a red, as it did in the Kane instance. So there's all these layers, and, and you end up with quite a bit of bureaucracy as well, I guess, involved around that. And that's cost, and it all gets passed on. The debate about officiating during that World Cup final has already had some fallout. We've seen Wayne Barnes resign or retire off the back of the level of abuse that he faced. Do you think that Kiwi fans and fans in general really just need to do a lot better than abusing referees after a game? Oh, for sure. But you can say this until you blew in the face. I mean, I, I just don't think you're ever going to change fans and their mindset for argument's sake. I mean, I think it's almost human nature that people <laughs> want to direct victory. I mean, look at the evolution of social media as a wider example. It just it magnetises people in that regard. With the Barnes situation, I think it, chances are he was going to retire anyway. I think that was coming. I mean, that's the pinnacle of the game for him. He's been a top referee, 111 tests as the referee in charge. I think 92 further as an assistant referee. And finally, he got to do a World Cup final. He's been to five World Cups and hadn't done one for various reasons. So I think that was probably going to happen anyway. But it shouldn't be on the, under those circumstances where he's had to leave with death threats for his family. I mean, for goodness sake. I mean, who would do such a thing? I mean, I often ask myself that question, but there are people out there. And it's just maybe it's a reflection of the times we live in, you know, tougher times even at the moment. And that's just people just need an outlet to really offer spurious stuff like that. It does sometimes seem a little bit ludicrous that somebody would issue a death threat to somebody off the back of a sports match. I mean, get some perspective in life. You know, when you think about what's going on in the world at the moment with you know, international conflicts, etc., and then we're, we're sending death threats over a sporting fixture, I mean, maybe it's betting related or something mm -hmm. along those lines where it drives people to, you know, they've lost money on it or something and they've got even more of a stake in the game and so they're more furious. But I just can't understand why someone would be drawn towards that. In the most controversial World Cup final of all time, we haven't heard boo. Not a word from Jolzut, who was the head of the referees at World Rugby. Not a word. Mm. Now that is patently unfair on the people that he has appointed to officiate that Rugby World Cup final. Mm. Especially when Wayne Barnes' wife, Polly, who is an amazing woman in her own right, has come out and said, see you later Rugby World Cup, I'm not going to miss you.
In terms of that broader theme of consistency, we have seen some disparity in the application of the rules between different countries. So VAR in the Premier League feels very different from VAR at the World Cup. So how do you solve that problem of ensuring that there is greater consistency in terms of how these things are applied across different competitions? Well, I think it's got to come back to FIFA or the governing body, and they've just got to issue a decree and have strict protocols as to how they go about it, and surely that's got to apply across the board. Because otherwise, if you don't have consistency in something like that, as you say, that creates discrepancies. It means that you haven't got as much engagement as you might have done if you don't. I think it's worked pretty well in cricket, actually, over time. I think that's quite a good example. I think cricket has really strict protocols as to how they go about for a dismissal or what technology they're going to use. You can see it pretty clearly. They've got good elements to it, like the snickometer, for argument's sake. There's the ball tracker. And you know, they have an army of people who are putting all this together with the video technicians, etc. But I think that has added an element to the game, albeit one element where it detracts is when you have a victory in a test match or you have a victory in a, you know, we've got the World Cup going on at the moment. Imagine if this happens in a couple of weeks' time where there's a dismissal at the end and, oh, it goes upstairs and, It just takes away from that final celebration moment for a team because people will celebrate, whoop, whoop, and then all of a sudden, oh, you have this terrible pause of about, say, potentially a couple of minutes where they finally decide whether it is or it isn't. You've seen that in football too, where the players will now delay their celebration until (laughs) after the VAR check, which is a really weird shift in behaviour. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, the, the times we live in, Damien. You have been reporting on cricket for quite some time, and I understand that there was some outrage when all this technology started being introduced back in the day. How long did it take for people to get on board with the tech? Oh, look, at a pinch, I would say probably about maybe five years before people really got the hang of it, I think, because there was so much debate. The one in particular was the LBW decision because you are speculating with that final yard or so as to whether it's going to hit the stump. So people still... You know, debate about that, whether that's a good system to have in place or whether it should go back to the umpire and they look at it and decide. But I think because players had the benefit of the doubt for so long, I think of sort of spinners, I know Daniel Vittori started to get a few more wickets once they had the LBW tracking in place, whereas I think umpires have been reluctant until that point to give people out. That's just some examples back in the day when it started to come to fruition. But players had not, you know, batters wouldn't walk it definitely helped in terms of, well, probably honesty situation, although I think there's still a lot of players who don't walk now and they just take their chances on it. But, yeah, it's, it's been helpful in that regard and probably created more accuracy, which is ultimately what we were after. Looking at rugby and football, do you think that we're moving toward a similar level of acceptance? No, I don't feel like it's quite the same, actually. I mean, in football, it should be almost even simpler just with offside and, and goals, etc. Maybe that's just because there's more fan engagement in football, but... I feel like that should be the easiest one to resolve. And rugby, a bit more complicated to say with the breakdown, etc. That's something that they've still got to work their way through for sure. I mean, here we are after this World Cup final and maybe it's been, I guess, embellished because New Zealand have lost the game and therefore we're talking about it. Who knows if they're talking about it in South Africa. Maybe they're just celebrating and they're probably not so worried about it now. I have it on good authority that no one in South Africa is talking about Wayne Barnes. <laughs> I, I would have thought so, yeah. They're, they're more interested in what Bill or, you know, it's more formal than the William Webb Ellis uh, Cup is, is up to and it's tracking. That's what they're tracking. Andrew, looking at the impact of television match officials in professional sport, are you in favour of their involvement or do you sometimes yearn for a a more free-spirited form of sport that was more about the spectacle and allowing certain things to slide? 
oh, in an ideal world, you allow things to slide, but not now because I'm in favour of a TMO, regardless of what sport, because you're reducing the errors. You're making it more accurate. And because it's so commercialised now and there's so much on it, you can't be without it, especially going back to that original point about you can't have everyone in the stadium or everyone at home knowing that something is wrong and the referee doesn't. And I think that the genie's out of the bottle and, and, and you can't go back. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. I'm Damien Venuto. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.